Well, 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 well. You guys braved a winter storm to make it here tonight. Give yourselves a hand, huh? Well, Thanksgiving and Black Friday have now passed. This past week, we were able to flip our calendars to a new month, the month of December. This past week, Stacy and I also went to this farm area, and we purchased this green thing, and we put it in our living room. It's a pine tree, and then we decorated it and put other stuff on it. And now it's snowing. It smells a little bit like Christmas, don't you think? Anybody getting excited for Christmas out there? Anybody else? I, I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday for sure. I mean, it's nothing like any of the other holidays. I feel like Christmas isn't just a day, but it's an entire month, right? And not just because of the consumerism in the mall and the stores and stuff like that, but as Christians, we celebrate this thing called Advent, which is a month-long celebration. The word Advent means coming, and it's a It's a way for us to celebrate the coming of the birth of Jesus. And the Advent is also a celebration of anticipating his return. So it's a whole month of joyful celebration, anticipation. I can't wait until often small children for Christmas. It's like they can't wait for the presents that are under the tree to be opened. That's the joy and the anticipation for for the small children. But for us, there's this other season that we get to celebrate, Advent. Uh, Tonight, we're going to continue our series through Hebrews 11, and we're going to look a little bit at uh, a different angle of the Christmas story as well. So to help us get started in continuing our series, please help me welcome our friend, Riley Leet. Oh, hello. It did that last time, too. Okay, so this is Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to speak of Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and Samson, of David and Samuel and all of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained all that had been promised, who closed the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was made strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released Refusing to be released in hopes to gain an even better, an even greater resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and others even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in goatskins and sheepskins, 
They went about in goatskins and sheepskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered through the mountains and the deserts, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were commended for their faith. Yet they did not receive all that God had promised, since God had something greater planned that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Riley. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of David and Samuel and the prophets. At the last well two weeks ago, Stacy talked about the prophet Elijah. Anybody here for that? Anybody? Elijah was the man. If you missed that teaching, I, I encourage you to check it out on the app. Uh, you can listen to it. It's a good time. Tonight, we're going to look at another prophet, okay? The primary role of prophets in the Bible was to speak the words and the will of God to his people. Prophets served as God's voice, declaring whatever God commanded them to say. God's people were called to be a light to the nations. This was their purpose. This was their identity. But there were times and there were seasons where they, they stumbled and they fell or they forgot or they just didn't care and they turned and they worshipped other gods. And it's in those moments that God would send a prophet and say, hey, hey, you guys, remember who we are? Remember whose we are? Do you remember what our calling is? Do you remember that we're supposed to be a light to the nations? Turn back. Let's worship the one true God. This was the primary function, the primary role of prophets in the Bible. The prophet we're going to talk about tonight is the prophet Isaiah. A couple things about Isaiah. Isaiah, along with the prophet Micah, served in the southern kingdom of Judah. This is during the divided kingdom. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Uh, and during this time, Judah was not following in the ways of of the Lord. They were doing evil in his eyes. Meanwhile, this nation Assyria was quickly becoming a very large empire, and they were conquering land and people. They had an incredible army, incredible military, and they were known for gruesome, gruesome torture of their enemies. Think ISIS and the stories we have heard. That was the Assyrians. And so during this time period, the, uh, the people in Judah, the Israelites, they were not following in the ways of God. And the Assyrians were coming, and Isaiah is saying, hey, you guys, don't forget who we are. Don't forget your calling. We have to turn back to God. If we don't, God might punish us, and the Assyrians are coming. It was a very desperate crying, calling out to uh, God's people. And with support from Isaiah's colleague Micah and the godly king Hezekiah, the Assyrians were actually held at bay and revival swept through Judah for a few years. Then after the king Hezekiah, who was a great godly king, his son Manasseh 
came to reign on the throne. And Manasseh was the opposite of King Hezekiah. We're going to look at a couple of passages tonight. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 33. If you want to follow along, you can open up your Bibles. And if you want a Bible, our friend Rachel uh, can hand you one. Just slip up your hand or something like that. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Here's what the text says about this guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was 12, 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father, Hezekiah, had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Now this is similar to the time of Elijah with what King Ahab was doing up in the north, encouraging the people to follow other gods and not really following the one true God. Now Manasseh is leading the people down in the south in Judah to follow after other gods as well. Many scholars describe Isaiah's ministry as kind of Judah's evangelist. He worked tirelessly endlessly to turn the people back to God. Isaiah gave it everything he had, including his life. We'll get to that in just a moment. Prophets like Isaiah were not only God's voice encouraging his people to turn back to God and follow after him in his ways, but they also made a number of predictions about what was going to take place in the future because that's what God told them to do. God says, hey, this is what's going to happen. I want you to write it down. I want you to tell the people, and then it would come true. Prophecies. The prophets had to be very, very, very careful with what they were saying about God, though, um, and what they were predicting for the future. Because here's what Deuteronomy chapter 18 says about prophecies. Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. You can jot it down if you want. You can turn there if you want. Deuteronomy 18, 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded to speak to him, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may, how may we know the Lord, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true... That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So basically what the text is saying, a prophecy of the future better be from God and come true. Otherwise, it's not from God. And if it doesn't come true, then you're lying. And as a prophet, you can be put to death for being a false prophet. So the stakes were a little bit high. You weren't just saying, hey, I think maybe God said this right? If you're a prophet. If you're saying something is going to come true in the future, you know with everything you have that it's going to happen. According to tradition, and as recorded in the book, The Martyrdom of Isaiah, which recounts and expands on events of 2 Kings chapter 21, Isaiah was killed for false prophecy. 
There's a man named Belkirah who accused Isaiah of false prophecy before the evil king of Manasseh. He, Belkirah convinced King Manasseh, and this is how the story goes. He sent and he seized Isaiah, and he sawed him in two with a wood saw. When Isaiah was being sawn in two, Belkirah stood up and said to Isaiah, Say, I have lied in all that I have spoken, and likewise the ways of Manasseh are good and right. And this he said to him when he was being sawn in two. But Isaiah was absorbed in a vision of the Lord, and Isaiah answered and said, So far as I have utterance, I say, Accursed be you and all your powers and all your house, for you cannot take from me save the skin of my body. And they seized and sawed Isaiah, the son of Amoz, in two. And when Isaiah was being sawn in two, he neither cried aloud nor wept, but his lips spoke with the Holy Spirit until he was sawn in two. Now listen to this section again from Hebrews chapter 11. When he's talking about the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight like the Assyrians. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. Isaiah was being accused of being a false prophet. And even in the very moment when he's getting cut in half, he's given an opportunity to to take back his words. And even in that moment, he believed every word that God spoke to him and said, this is worth it. This is what God said. What were some of these words that cost Isaiah his life? Was he wrongly accused or not? Did what he say was going to happen, happen? To help us with this, I'm going to invite our friend Scott to come on up. Scott, come on up. Let's give Scott a hand. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read a few passages from Isaiah, and then Scott's going to read a few passages in response. So here is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And you don't have to turn there. You can jot these down if you want to, but just listen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, 
son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Come on. Come on. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, huh? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, were some of the words on Isaiah's lips. Isaiah boldly called people to follow and worship the one true God. He longed for and correctly prophesied that one true God that the one true God was going to send a Messiah to be the Savior of the world. Speaking of the word Messiah, in Hebrew, it's Mashiach. Say Mashiach. 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 Say it one more time. Mashiach. Mashiach means anointed one. Okay? Or in Greek, the Greek word is Christos, where we get 
the phrase, Jesus the Christ. It's not like a last name or something like that, okay? When we say Jesus Christ, we're saying He is the Messiah. We believe that He is the one that Isaiah spoke of, that it was going to come and save His people from their sins. By the way, you know what Isaiah's name means? Yahweh is salvation. And I think that Isaiah's words, his faith, and his life declared that to the nth degree. The Lord is salvation, and He is our only hope. Maybe you're here tonight, and you hear this passage, and this passage, and then this passage, and this passage, and you think, okay, maybe. Maybe you're a little skeptical. Maybe you're thinking, that's a nice story, but the Bible isn't really reliable itself. I mean, how do we know that the authors didn't make up some of this stuff or change some of it later so that Jesus could fulfill them? Maybe the people rigged the Old Testament to be modified or whatever reasons we could come up with. We could come up with a lot of hypotheticals, right? Let me tell you a story. In 1947, in the land of Israel, there's a shepherd boy named Mohammed who was herding his flock of goats on a hillside uh, along some cliffs in the desert near the Dead Sea. And Mohammed realizes he was missing one of his goats. And so he goes out searching all over the cliffs and all over the desert area for his goat. And he picks up a stone and he throws it in a small opening, a small cave-like thing, hoping that maybe the goat was inside and it would scare the goat and the goat would come out. But what happened was he threw that stone in that small opening and he heard a crash, a breaking of a clay pot. And so he kind of crawls through this small hole and he found this large jar And he opened it up, and he was so excited that he found buried treasure. And then as he opened it up, he was so disappointed. Because inside this jar was just an old scroll with some writings on it that he couldn't even read. Long story short, what he found was the first of many ancient scrolls found in that region now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe you've heard of them. There are more than 170 biblical scrolls that were discovered in 11 different caves in that region over the course of the next several years, and they include fragments from every single Old Testament book and other ancient writings. The shepherd boy who discovered the first scroll was actually This scroll right here, and that's a picture of the pot, and that is the entire book of Isaiah that he found. This was in 1947. The book of Isaiah was originally, when Isaiah first wrote down his book, was 600 years before Jesus. Okay, so Isaiah writes down his word 600 years before Jesus even comes on the scene. Archaeologists are able to do really cool things, and they figured out that this scroll 
dates to be 100 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay? So our Bibles, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and hold it in your hand for a second. The Bibles we have today was based on what they call the Masoretic Text. Okay? Some of this is a little bit technical and maybe you don't care, but it's called the Masoretic Text. The oldest copies of the Masoretic Text date back to about a hundred, about a thousand years after Jesus' life. Okay? So the Bibles we have, the oldest manuscripts we had, were a thousand years after the life of Jesus. That's the best we had. Then they found these Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the Isaiah scroll that they found is a thousand years older than the Masoretic text. So the Bibles we have were like a thousand years after Jesus. The Isaiah scroll is a hundred years before Jesus. So a thousand years older than the Bible we have. So scholars did what, obviously what scholars would probably do, is they would compare the two, right? Okay, so based on what we have used for a thousand years in the Masoretic text and what we just found to be a thousand years older than this, let's compare the two and see how they match. 99.8% exactly the same. The 0.2% minor spelling differences or things of that kind of nature. Nothing major. Today, there's actually 40,000 copies of various ancient manuscripts to support the Bible, and all the copies match. If, if there was a scribe that said, you know, Isaiah said some story about a virgin birth, that seems a little extreme, don't you think? Let's just change that a little bit. And then they see this manuscript and they match it with all the other ones. The one that, says, that, that deletes the part of the virgin birth would stick out like a sore thumb and they would toss it out because it doesn't match all the other copies that we have in history. I find it interesting that the life of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, quote more from the book of Isaiah than any other book in the Old Testament. And then in 1947, God sends a shepherd boy to find this buried treasure to confirm that the words that Isaiah spoke became true. To me, the Dead Sea Scrolls help confirm the reliability of the biblical text and the validity of Isaiah's prophecies, even though he was killed for being a false prophet. Isaiah was a person of great faith. He boldly called people to follow and worship the one true God knowing he was to be a light to the nations. He also believed the words that God spoke to him with all of his heart, even though it was going to cost him his life. What about you? Do you believe the words of this story? Do you believe God's promises? If not, why not? What questions do you have? What doubts do you have? It's okay if you have them. I have questions. We want this community to be a safe place where we can really wrestle with some stuff. And if you've got questions, you've got doubts, you're welcome in this space. And we want to wrestle through some of this stuff with you.
If you don't have questions, if you feel like you don't have doubts, why not? And, and if you do believe the words of this story, how does it impact the way you live? Or does it? Isaiah's words, his faith and his life declared that salvation was coming. What do your words, what does your life declare? Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In faith, by faith, Isaiah believed that a child was coming. He believed that this child would bring incredible joy and be the only hope for the world. And he believed that this child would become a king whose kingdom will last forever. He believed it so much that he was willing to give his own life because he trusted that God's word was true. And God fulfilled his promise not only to Isaiah, but to all of us. And this, my friends, is what we get to celebrate again this Christmas. We celebrate Christmas year after year after year, and sometimes it feels like we know the story. We know how it ends. But did Isaiah, did he really know? But he believed it with everything that he had, and his life depended on it. And it was obvious to the people around him. As we celebrate Christmas this next month, it is, is it obvious to the people around you what we really get to celebrate? This story is crazy, and it's miraculous, and it's awesome, and it's a story worth celebrating year after year after year for an entire month. I give thanks to God for people who faithfully ran the race like Isaiah. And my hope is that his story will spur me on and spur us on in our own faith journey that we can faithfully live into the things that God calls us to. And so as we have been doing for the last several weeks, I want us to say together these words from Hebrews chapter 12, kind of the conclusion of uh, this long chapter of Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. So let's say these words together. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Please pray with me. Jesus, we give you thanks for Christmas and for all that it means, for all that it was, for all that it is, for all that it will be. We thank you for your faithful servant Isaiah who heard 
a word from you who declared who you were boldly and passionately to the people around him, who trust in your promises and believe that it would become true because you said it. So God, I pray tonight that we will have ears to hear your voice, that we will believe your word to be true, that it will impact the way we live our lives. And may you and you alone get all the glory this Christmas season. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.